There's a lot of great like duos out there that are that just do it right. Conan O'Brien and his sidekick. Andy Richter. You know, Conan is really kind of really hyperactive and upbeat. Yep. And Andy Richter is kind of cool, mellow. I mean, my hair is probably closer to Conan's than it is Andy's. David Letterman and Paul Schaefer. Yes, you are David Letterman in this case. Well, you're the musician, so. And then, of course, you had, you know, Carson and old uh, Ed McMahon. So in that scenario, are you Carson or Ed McMahon? Carson. (laughs) You are correct, sir. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, healthcare systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on the digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information and have fun along the way. And now, here are your hosts, Reed Smith and Chris Boyer. And welcome to episode 73 of Touchpoint. I am Reed Smith, joined as always by Chris Boyer. How's it going, Reed? It's going good. It's going good. A couple of good weeks of recording. We're back to our normal recording time slot, which is in the evening on Monday. Well, not really evening. I guess it's night on Monday. Well, we're going to be back to the regular recording, but uh, next week it's going to be 4th of July. Oh. So maybe what we'll do is we'll run a repeat, one of our best episodes next week. Do we have a patriotic-themed episode? What did we do last 4th of July? Let's just run that one again. So those of you listening in, on the 4th of July, if you hear us from last year, <laughs> don't freak out. It'll probably be new <laughs> to you anyway. Well, hey, before we get started, just a quick thank you to all of our sponsors and and specifically want to take a minute and thank Loyal. Uh, Today's patient expectations are the same as customer expectations. They want it all from convenience to transparency. That's right. And that's why from the moment a patient decides they need care, Loyal's intelligent healthcare specific platform is one of their most trusted companions empowering their search and guiding their online journey. That's right. Loyal's solutions amplify the feedback you're receiving and provide answers to the questions that your patients are asking. And all that, they partner with some of the nation's leading health systems to help deliver a simply smarter digital patient experience. So if you are listening here, jump on over to loyalhealth.com and be sure to tell them that we sent you. That's loyalhealth.com. So real quick, before we jump into today's episode, I did want to make an announcement. A lot of people ask me about this throughout the year uh, because of my uh, historical involvement in South by Southwest uh, with their health track. People always ask me, how do I get to present? How can I um, you know, submit my ideas to you know, talk on a panel at South by Southwest? Well, mm-hmm. good news. Timing is good. The panel picker, is which was what they call it, just went live. So this is the first part of the process uh, where you or anyone can submit your idea to speak at South by Southwest in March of 2019. So you can go to panelpicker.sxsw.com and it'll walk you through the process from there. But I did want to point that out. I get that question a lot. And usually when I get it, it's right after panel picker is closed. So it is open for a month right here in the middle of the summer. If that's something you're interested in, I encourage you to go there and check that out. That's a great thing. Hey, Reed, while you're doing a little notification, how about I do a little shout out? 
to one of our friends, colleagues, and one of the biggest fans. That's our buddy Mitch Holdwick, who apparently is having a birthday. That's right. And pursuant to his Twitter account, he is an avid Detroit sports fan. So Tigers, uh, you know, not having such a great year. And Michigan stole uh, Ole Miss's quarterback, so we really won't get into that. But I will say that I was a huge Fab Five fan back in the day, and that's the only good thing I can come up with to talk about about Michigan or Detroit sports. So we'll leave that there. And, uh, you know, seriously, happy birthday, Mitch. Uh, Thanks for listening. Thanks for the support. On with the show. We're going to talk a little bit today about uh, machine learning. We've talked a lot about uh, AI, and we've mentioned machine learning, certainly. And we've even had some experts on some of the other uh, Touchpoint Media shows, like the Connected Hospital. But we thought it'd be something really good to get into. And we've got a great interview later on in this show uh, from uh, Abhi Sharma, who's the VP of Product over at Loyal. And uh, where he kind of talks about, you know, what is machine learning and dark learning and how does all that play into AI? Maybe as we get started, let's let's set the table a little bit. Of course, uh, always important to set the table before we start eating, right? We've talked about AI a lot, Reed. We've talked about machine learning almost ad nauseum. We've talked about this, but I think it's always good to reorient ourselves to the topic at hand. And uh, you found a great article that we'll put in the the show notes here that links to just a really brief uh, summary of AI, machine learning, all of these things. We even get into AR and VR. So let's just start start with that, with AI, which is, as the name uh, implies, the capability of a machine to imitate intelligent human behavior. It's broken into two groups. There's either an applied AI or a general AI, where applied refers to systems that um, address a specific need, like you, you create AI to solve a particular thing, trading stocks, whatever it might be. Whereas general AI kind of is open-ended and it's designed to be starting to interact and maybe talk to humans and learn from those interactions. Uh, and that's like more of the stuff that we see in science fiction's uh, movies and stuff where, you know, it starts to become more intelligent. Uh, so that's AI. Uh, we've got machine learning, which we'll get into more today. But this article actually categorizes it as a subset. I don't know that I've ever thought about it exactly that way, but a subset of AI and is powering much of the development in the AI field, including things like image recognition uh, so you've seen like uh, in Google uh, images where you can actually drag an image into that field and it'll find other images that look like that around the internet. So that's kind of like image recognition. Uh, a lot of us uh, have heard of natural language processing or NLP that, that also falls in that category. And then again, we'll get a little bit more into this, but also in the machine learning field is uh, deep learning. Uh, this is the cutting edge technology that's uh, inspired by the structure of the human brain. And this is where it really starts to kind of blow your mind. But it uses artificial neural networks to process data similar to the way neurons do in our brains. Oh, boy. I'm going to have to take a, br- a sip of water here. That sounds pretty crazy there, Reed. Uh, we're, we're now creating uh, neural networks artificially in, in machines. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, and, and just as a side, what I would do is use neural network in your next presentation because no one else is going to know what that means. And everybody's going to be like, wow, this guy is really out in front. That's right. That's right. Just a quick piece there. And the thing about deep learning read is that it really requires not only this interconnected neural network, but it really feeds a lot. I think all, all of artificial intelligence and machine learning feeds a lot on data. 
And we've talked about big data a lot, Mm -hmm. but, you know, with supercomputers and the rise of data, millions of data points, millions of different ways to interpret data, that's really given a new rise to deep learning. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about that in healthcare specifically in our podcast today, but let's talk about AR and VR. You've mentioned that a couple of times, and I've even strapped down one of those headsets once, you know, for the virtual reality. So AR and VR, which again, we won't get into a ton today, but you hear these things lumped together, AI, machine learning, AR, VR. Augmented reality or AR, uh, it actually uses technology to overlay digital information onto an image or something being viewed through a device. Um, so, like a good mm-hmm. example of this that actually I mentioned South by Southwest earlier, saw this a couple of years ago that Home Depot has developed and is using. You know, a lot of the Home Depots around the country have where you can rent equipment from them, right? And that mm-hmm. equipment breaks from time to time. And historically, they've had to load that into a truck and ship it somewhere to be fixed. Well, now what they can, they can use AR. They can use augmented reality. Somebody locally can put a headset on, look at the lawnmower, and then somebody on the other end somewhere else can see what they're seeing and then help walk them through by the use of overlaying digital information to that person that's there live on site on how to fix this device without them being an expert Uh, in that. So we're starting to see a lot of use cases for that. You can imagine how that might play Mm -hmm. into like say the operating room or imaging or Mm -hmm. things like that in healthcare. Virtual reality, a little bit different. It's a full artificial environment. So this is where you think more of like, you know, you see people, uh, you know, put on the goggles and you see them looking all around the room and stuff like that because they're like in the ocean scuba diving or something like that. So it's a full experience that you're immersed into. Yeah. And a couple episodes ago, I was talking about, this is when we had, I think John on at one of our long-term care facilities that we're using virtual reality as a way for elderly patients to, you know, experience flying over the Mississippi and stuff like that. It's kind of cool. And it does have certainly an impact, but all this again is built on this whole concept of having a lot of data and a lot of supercomputer power to process that data and react to that data in a big way. Absolutely. That's crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. And in healthcare, I think it's really transforming the way healthcare will be. It's, this isn't just shiny objects that we're talking about. I mean, there's actually a real life application of this. It might be good for us to talk about artificial intelligence, machine learning, and even deep learning as, as is applied to various different healthcare applications. You, you said something about Google, you put an image in and Google can find out where that image came from, like a reverse image search. Right. Well, imagine that in healthcare. That's one great example where people that are reading lab results that are maybe putting up scans or whatever, are they using computers and machine learning to in medical imaging to really understand and, and see what these scans might tell them? Yeah, because and I'm not, I don't want to diminish what a radiologist does, because I think you know, their expertise and their training is not ever going to go away. Mm-hmm. However, this may supplement what it is that they're doing. So to your point, if you have a larger database to pull from of knowledge, not just the individual sitting there. So you take that same scan, or that same image, throw it into a database and it comes back with here X amount of other images that also look like this. And this is what the diagnostic was. So, yeah, I mean, you can see how, you know, that power and data, uh, becomes super relevant. Well, you're not diminishing the field of radiology at all. In fact, uh, some people say that radiology has kind of spurred the adoption of this. And they're even people are, are, are coining radiologists as being the Silicon Valley of medicine because the number of 
detailed images is generated, it's provided this huge, vast library that now computers, machine learning can dive into and actually make this analysis. So it's actually a, a radiology kind of, you know, was the tipping point for this in healthcare. The Silicon Valley of medicine. I like that. It's pretty cool. Are we it? like the Huffington Post of healthcare? <laughs> or <laughs> we like Paul Harvey of healthcare? <laughs> We're more like the weekend update of healthcare, I think, <laughs> <Yeah>. sometimes. <laughs> okay, sorry, we're getting off track here. Anyway, so this diagnostic applications in radiology really has driven forward this adoption and made the concepts of artificial intelligence and even this deep learning a little bit more accessible, if you think about it. And we found a second article that talks about this. This one's from techemergence.com which is a, a blog about tech industry in healthcare. And they were talking about this uh, concept of the diagnosis of medical imaging and how deep learning is playing a more important role because the data sources are there that includes rich and varied forms of medical imagery. And computers now can look at all of these images and create millions or not millions, but thousands of data points on one particular image and correlate that to similar images across the world. And this is all the upside of this, right? You can diagnose quicker. You know, obviously the diagnoses or the level of expertise can find its way into maybe underserved or rural areas easier or more cost effectively, right? You know, you don't you don't have to be at you know, the world renowned center for fill in the blank. You know, if this if this comes to fruition uh, or is coming to fruition, obviously. But so yeah, I mean, it makes a ton of sense and pretty amazing, really. Well, that's a positive side of it, but there's a negative side of it, Reed, which is, imagine this. So, you know, you take machine learning, you take deep learning, and, you know, you're starting to get these results, and you can upload a uh, scan uh, into your radiology big data repository, and then suddenly it'll shoot back, you know, a result or whatever. And the deep learning applications are really good, but they're limited in the way they ex explanation of how they got to that answer. They can't explain how it arrived at this prediction, even when it's correct. And so the flip side of this is what they're calling the black box problem of machine learning and deep learning. Interesting. I, I mean, I can see where this is headed in the sense that, you know, we already have robotic surgery, right? But it's still human-led. But, you know, it's not a big stretch to think that, like, robots could do the procedure without you. Yeah, but would we trust them? That's what I'm saying. I, I don't think it's outside of, you know, kind of what we're talking about to some degree, but... I actually don't think it's outside of it at all. I think it's really related to this because machine learning and deep learning is becoming so good at what it's doing that it's coming back with great results. I mean, the results are pretty much spot on and as accurate as human radiologists are in terms of diagnosing what they see. But the problem is, is that we don't really trust it. Yeah, I mean, it's like self-driving cars, right? I mean, you could argue that with a self-driving car or the autonomous robotic surgery, like this article mentions, there's um, you know a 0% chance of human error Right. So, I mean, that's good. Right. But I still don't want to get in a car that I don't have control of locally. And why is that? I mean, why do we feel that way? I think with cars, it might be a little bit easier to understand because 
not all cars are 100% robotic at this point in time. So you're still dealing with humans. And I think in my mind, I think, well, I don't want to get in a robotic car because what if that crazy person slams into me? I want to be able to weave out of the way. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to the, the, um, it's kind of that whole adage about like, you know, I don't want to be out driving on the road on new year's Eve or night or early morning. Right. Not because of me or me being impaired or sleepy or whatever, but because of everyone else with the, with the self-driving car thing, the chances that any, any car around you is also self-driving is like nil. You know, everybody else is still driving their vehicle. So it's not like everything's just on rails. We don't really have an issue getting on like trains, for example, and they're not, they're not robotic or automated, but you're on a rail and it's predictable. And I mean, you're not in control, you know. But then now let's, now let's apply this to, let's say, just scanning or, you know, radiology. Very, very simple use case here. Why would we not trust a massive database of millions of radiology scans to help us diagnose that problem? I would. I mean, it's like, it's just like crowdsourcing, right? It's the same thing we're doing with the, you know, e-powerment movement and things like that, right? I mean, we're just trying to find more people like us that have what we have and that kind of thing. So if there's a way that, you know, in an automated fashion, you can do that quicker. I I mean, I don't have an issue with it. I would say that you're probably right on a theoretical perspective, but then let's say it's one of your loved ones that is going to scan for a potential inoperable brain tumor, would you want a computer to come back with that diagnosis? Or would you want to have that double checked by a radiologist that's been trained for many years in that profession to look at it or even give you a second opinion? So I guess really then the question is, is what order? So is the database the second opinion? We don't know what's wrong with you. Okay, great. Let's consult this big database and see if we get any clues. I think that's a more palatable scenario for most people. You know what I mean? It, it's the it's the second line of defense. It's not the primary diagnoser. Or should it be the other way around, where you run it through the computer once, and then you have it validated by that radiologist, you know, as he's reading the scan and the mm-hmm. diagnosis? You can think about it in multiple different ways. But I think that healthcare is still so much a human thing that – we rely on a human when, quite frankly, computers can be smarter than some, you know, some people. No offense to radiologists out there, but I bet there's some computers that can diagnose more predictably accurate than a, a fresh out of the college radiologist could. Yeah, but it's bedside manner is terrible. <laughs> right. And that's, I, yeah. I mean, I'm kidding, but not really in the sense that like we, we want the empathetic connection in this process, you know, some of this gets pretty sterile and cold if left, uh, left up to just machines. Yeah, I would agree with you on that. And I think that when you talk about these sorts of things, right, when you talk about the application of deep learning, and we're just talking about it with scanning, which is a simple use case, but think about it now extending to 
a lot of um, health systems are starting to participate in genetic research. They're starting to move towards personalized medicine. And big data is the way to get there. And there's no way that you're going to have a group of doctors or scientists that are going to be able to review the genomes of every person in the world. But potentially, it could be supercomputers that do that. And you could start to do predictions on healthcare to the point where you could take a genetic imprint and say, well, you have a, you know, you have a predilection of becoming a, a diabetic at an older age. We may want to start being preventative now. Yeah. I mean, it's just like the, the, the BRCA gene and stuff like that, right? I mean, we know to look and test for those things now. So if you could just amplify that times a million. But then again, you know, you do get to a place where some people it's like, I just don't want to know. You know what I mean? Because it just creates this anxiety and angst in my life, potentially around something I can't do anything about. Maybe we can. Maybe you can't. You, you know what I'm saying? So there's like this weird kind of gray area of, okay, well, what if it does come back with this thing? Then are you going to do anything any different? In some cases, you would, right? Um, and you know, and now we can extend it even further in a more ethical way. What about you know, developing a, a genomic print of your child? to be able to determine if they're going to be born with, with issues to make decisions about treatment for them uh, or even predict what potentially is going to happen with their health. This, I mean, there's some ethical boundaries where the application of big data learning, machine learning, deep learning, and not knowing how that computer is learning can potentially make us feel a little queasy, a little bit nervous. Yeah, that, that's where it gets a little troublesome for me. When we start talking about prenatal stuff and what are we gonna, what are we trying to figure out, and and what if you know when, when we we've gone through this three times with three children, but there are tests they can do, and it'll tell you the likelihood that your child will be born with Down syndrome, for example. And the question has always been for me has been like, but if I found that out, then what? Nothing. It's not going to change anything. There's nothing additional for me to do. I'm not going to terminate the pregnancy. So why would I do this test? That's where some of this stuff is in the predictive fashion. Is it's like, you know, how much do you really want to know? Hey, we want to take a moment to thank one of our sponsors, and that's our good friends at Binary Fountain. You know, as a healthcare marketer, it's probably pretty obvious these days how much time you're spending uh, on reviews, ratings relative to hospitals, physicians, all that kind of good stuff. You know, too many of those are going unanswered and they're certainly not being analyzed. This could be costing us new and current customers. It could be impacting our patient experience scores and potentially impacting our revenue. Luckily, our good friends at Binary Fountain have an online reputation management platform called Binary Health Analytics. If you'd like to learn more or even schedule a demo, visit them online at binaryfountain.com. That's binaryfountain.com. And it's interesting that we're talking about it from the patient's perspective because a lot of these articles that we're looking at, they're talking about it from a clinical perspective that doctors themselves may not trust this particular application of this deep learning, this black box medicine. Mm -hmm. And so from your perspective, you're like, well, what if I'm the consumer? Do I even want to get that far? Do I even want to learn that much information? But, you know, on the other hand, if you're a doctor, I bet you, I bet you're looking at this as like this could potentially be a threat um, to what you're doing, that you don't even know how the computer is coming up with these results. And how are you expected to, to 
trust the results because after all, aren't they practicing evidence-based medicine? Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting question. What is evidence? I'm going to take a little aside here. It's kind of geeky, but I have a, I have a degree in mathematics, Reed. And I remember in my, uh, my senior paper, I was writing about a particular computer application where they were running prototypes to determine, you know, if all maps can be painted with just four colors, because that's a, like a theory that can never be proven. And they used computer prototypes to determine that in just about every instance that it could, right? And no mathematician would believe that because it's not 100% true. There is no 100% accuracy of being able to prove that. And I think the same thing applies here. We as, you know, we in the, in the clinical professions of, of healthcare, that's the royal we, not me, but, you know, others may look at it that way and say, how can we trust the computer's results when we, we don't know how it's coming to that solution? What does marketing do with this? Here's the thing, you know, we're trying to make sure that we communicate and put in front of people the right information at the right time to make the right decisions. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So if that's the case and and we're arguing that, you know, AI is the way we need to go, you know, we need to have chatbots, we need to have uh, ways for consumers to interact and more inherently or natively find what it is that they're looking for and get where they need to go. And then we talk about personalized marketing. You know, we learn all this information about people and we turn around again in their best interest. I'm using air quotes in their best interest uh, to put the right information in front of them. Number one, do they know these things are happening and how it works and what they're actually getting into? And then two, from an ethical perspective and, and to get people where they need to go, are we doing what we're supposed to be doing? Uh, with this technology? I mean, how, how do we really determine what we've signed up for? Yeah. And I think that with marketing, it's a little bit less of uh, skin in the game, so to speak. And I heard uh, someone recently talk about a chatbot solution. And they were talking about the fact that they don't expect that chatbot solutions will 100% be right in terms of some of the stuff that they do. And there'll be some awkwardness and you have to be able to allow those systems to fail elegantly. And in that particular case, what it means is, you know, in many cases, hand them off to a human for that intervention because the machine just reaches capacity. It can't go anymore. In the case of a marketing program or a chat bot to help them navigate a website or to guide them through to make an appointment, that sort of thing, fail elegantly is a little less disastrous than failing elegantly in a clinical setting. Oh, Sure. It's just super irritating, right? It's just like when I use Siri to voice dial in my car and I have to say, you know, Bobby Ratu that's been on this show before, a uh, partner of ours and, and host of some of our other shows, I have to say his name in a funny way or he doesn't know who I'm talking about. Or my name, right? Chris Boyer. <laughs> I even have to do that on my phone. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna start inter- introducing you on the show as Chris Boyer. <laughs> it's just super annoying, right? And but what we do is we we kind of we forgive it. We're okay with that. Do we forgive it because we're okay with it, or do we just not feel like that there's a better option? And I think that's where the patient experience or the, the, the consumer experience piece of this comes in. You know, how far can we take these things or how far should we take them? Is Chris Boyer good enough? 
are, are we willing to accept that it's Chris Boyer instead of Chris Boyer? I feel weird using my name as an example, but you know, are we willing to accept that so that we'll get past it? And very similar to our argument, maybe a couple of weeks ago, where where I was saying that the digital experience is much better, and that we are willing to forgive bad situations because overall it's helping us get to the end result that we need. I think that's what it boils down to, right? Is like if we're getting the results ultimately that we're looking for, are we willing to forgive it along the way? Are we willing to overlook it and maybe even say, "Oh, hey, maybe the computer knows best. At least it's able to call." my name, regardless of how you say it, or find that diagnosis of brain tumor without knowing how we got to that. Well, I think we are okay with that, at least for now. I think when we start getting into healthcare, especially diagnoses, treatment plans, you know, those types of things, that's probably a little different. You know, we're going to have to be better. These are going to have to be supplements or aids into what we're doing. And like I said earlier, I think it's going to have to be I, the doctor, say this, and I'm backed up by this database. Or we can't figure it out, and we went to the database, and here's what, we've, here's what we got back, and so we're exploring these options now. I don't think we can get too terribly far away from you know, that human interaction, that human environment. I don't think we want to either, particularly, but you're right. In this kind of like supportive role, I can see the application of deep learning being something that we can certainly use. And that's true for marketers as well. Certainly from our perspective, if we can use computers to access and understand our populations and maybe target them better, maybe even predict what type of messaging or communication they they like to receive more than others, mm-hmm. ultimately at the end of the day, we know that we're guiding them to having some kind of human interaction with us even if that's through virtual care, there's still a human on the other side, but we're guiding them to a place where ultimately we're help. They're getting the results that they want. They're getting the help they need. Hey, Chris, before we go too much further, jump into this next segment of the podcast, I did want to uh, mention and thank uh, one of our sponsors, Influence Health. Uh, you know, they've got a consumer experience platform that, that covers several things. And correct me if I'm wrong, but we've we've talked about content management systems on this podcast. Yeah, we did. What about CRMs? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we covered CRMs for sure. And then obviously each and every week we talk about digital marketing. So digital marketing systems, uh, you know, in one way, shape or form have probably been covered, right? That's right. Digital marketing systems. And I would say that we even talk about it in a way of uh, that overall digital consumer experience. Well, there you go. I, you know, I would I would recommend for anybody interested in one of those topics uh, or anything else. They've also got some complimentary solutions on their website. But but head over to their website, take a look at what they've got and what they're offering relative to CMS, CRM, digital marketing systems. Kind of how all that is woven together in what they call their consumer experience platform. Find your way over to influencehealth.com. Touchpoint. Touch counterpoint. There are two sides to every story. Ready, fight! All right, now it's time for touch point, touch counterpoint, the portion of the show where we argue. And today, uh, talking about deep learning, machine learning, uh, touched obviously on AI, VR, AR, all that kind of stuff. But the theme here is robots. And um, <laughs> clearly, and 
the question today is ultimately, maybe not today, but ultimately over the next few years, short term, let's say that that's going to be our answer. Like, you know, the, the actual machine learning piece of this, that's going to be the source of truth and will supersede, I guess, human interaction. Yeah, I will argue for that for sure. I'll say that robots know a lot more or in the future will know a lot more than we will and will be able to drive more correlations between vast amounts of data. So in the future, I think that robots will know more than us humans will. Maybe not robots, but AI. Let's say AI. Okay, maybe they will know more than us or it knows more than us. I don't know how to reference it, but anyway, but that does not supersede human interaction. Like I still think there is a determinants in there where, you know, a physician, somebody in a clinical role is going to have to step in. I, I, there's just, there's no way around it from an interpretation or analysis standpoint. Well, what you're talking about is what we referred to earlier as applied AI, which is, you know, where you focus it on solving a specific need. And I think that's true. But I think there's already use cases where AI is solving problems in ways that we humans don't even know how. And we've heard stories about that. We, you know, there are examples of that, that deep learning or even dark learning that where the computers will start to do stuff and we won't know how they know this. They might even learn faster rate than us. And at that point in time, why would we want to intercede? All we'll have to do is make sure that we just translate what the computer tells us to do to the clinical care application or to that marketing application in healthcare. I mean, that's that's clearly what we're going to be doing in the future. We don't need a lot of human interpretation, just reading what's on the screen. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we need. Let's just leave it up to the robots. Yeah. Cause that, that always works out well in the movies. Oh man. I, this is, this is how we completely lose control and, I mean, I can start Googling, you know, self-driving Tesla crashes and, you know, just have links at the wazoo. You know, is it is it possible? Uh, sure. Um, you know, should we rely on it solely? No. Because I, there still needs to be a layer, a Q&A layer in there, if nothing else. I mean, just, you know, what is it? Is this the right thing to be talking about? You know, did it successfully complete the mission, so to speak, versus just, you know, letting it, you know, come in and lay it down. I, I don't know. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, you're right, because American Medical Association came out with guidelines that indicated of uh, the ethical way to apply artificial intelligence in healthcare. And we'll link to that in the show notes, a little extra bonus link there. You're right. We're going to have to kind of show ethically, but, you know, eventually, you know, 100 years from now, 200 years from now, when our robotic overlords take over and Quite honestly, it's because we're going to be overwhelmed with data and we're going to need these computers to help us understand all this data so that we can actually have meaningful use, meaningful applications of things in our world. Ultimately, at the end of the day, if I told you right now, we're not at that point now, but if I told you now that if a computer was able to keep you alive and your loved ones alive for 100 extra years, would you let it? Mm, no. I think there's a, a reasonable expectation for the, the length of... So selfishly, you want to say yes to that question. You want everybody you love to be around forever. The problem with that is, 
I mean, just look at it from a logistical standpoint. Like, where are these people going to physically be? If everybody starts living forever, I mean, you know, just everything's, it's already overcrowded now. Everybody just can't live forever. I mean, that just doesn't work. You know, I mean, you think we have a shortage of nurses now. Let's let everybody live forever. And the future will be Soylent Green. (laughs) You're right, Reed. I mean, come on. It was, it's almost was eerie me arguing for the singularity, for the fact that computers can take over and robots might take over and learn more. I really believe that all rhetorical aside, that there is some really good stuff that can be found in artificial intelligence and machine learning in deep learning that can be applied, but there has to be, we have to somehow have a human involved to contextualize it for our world. I think so. Yeah, this is going to be one of those interesting things to see where this goes over the next few years because it's uh, it's accelerating pretty quickly. Well, whoever's listening in, if you're a computer or a human, let us know what you think. Tell us what your side is on the argument. We'd love to have a little dialogue about that. All right, we're back with the Ask the Expert portion of the podcast. And today, lucky enough to be joined by Abhi Sharma from Loyal. Uh, he's the vice president of product over there and works on all the cool things that you've heard Chris and I talk about on a number of our ads, like Empower and Engage and Guide and all those different products. And so, um, appreciate, you, uh, appreciate you coming on for a few minutes. Of course. Thank you for having me. So maybe just a little bit about before we before we jump into some of these super nerdy topics, but just maybe a little bit of your background, uh, kind of what you've done. Um, tell everybody just a little bit about your experience in this space. So, like you said, I run product for Loyal, so you know, get to get to do all the fun things there, and we clearly have a lot of machine learning across all of our products. But my background, I went to Georgia Tech, um, got out of school. Worked at Coca-Cola for a bit, then uh, really got into programming, worked at NBC. Um, and if, if you all are familiar with blockchain and Bitcoin, I worked at a, comp- at a Bitcoin wallet company as a developer. And then, I, and then I left to join Chad in his endeavor in the healthcare space. And uh, here I am. A funny aside, so a couple of months ago with South by Southwest and I was there and of course you overhear some pretty funny conversations and as you would imagine, a fair amount of uh, the panels and, and talks and things like that uh, outside of AI, which was obviously very popular, especially in the healthcare vertical, but was um, another big popular topic was blockchain. And I overheard, you know, many conversations that went something like, I mean, I'm going to go to this panel, but like, I know what it means, but I like to just hear other people uh, talk about what they think it means, you know, which clearly means they have no idea what blockchain is. But anyway, blockchain, all the things, you know, that's another uh, another topic for another day. But OK, so machine learning, Chris and I've been talking about machine learning and, and we've had previous episodes, of course, uh, Brian um, also from Loyal has, has been on and we've talked about AI specifically, the business case, use case, you know, what to expect, what's coming down the road, you know, some of that kind of stuff in your mind as you as you think about this AI uh, world, what, where does what is machine learning, and how is that different than just the conversation of AI? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, the way I think about machine learning is that it's it's more of like the tool that all these different subsets of AI categories use. So, like when you think of AI, you think of like 
automated cars. Okay, well, like, how do cars, like, automatically drive themselves? Like, well, under the hood, it's, like, machine learning that's driving that, right? Same with, have you heard of the, um, you know, like, in Google created that DeepMind company, and they, like, played, they played Go, and they played chess, and they, like, got the computer to win against, like, all these, like, champions, Right, right, yeah. That's AI, but, you know, under the hood, like, machine learning is happening. That's the underlying technology that's driving that. And you would even say, like, search. Like, when you type in a search in Google, they are doing some pretty awesome machine learning under the hood. When you do the type ahead, and you can, like, sort of see, like, what other people are probably also typing, and Google's trying to guess what you're going to say, like, that's all machine learning under the hood. It's the gasoline powering the car, you know, so to speak, I guess. And, um, you know, what, what, what allows it all to work? So I've never really thought about that in, in the context of search. And so I think that's a great example. There's a term in the field. I think it's called, uh, it's called the AI effect, where because something works so well, it like becomes mainstream. And so then people don't think it's AI anymore. But in reality... It is. We're so used to it, and it does such a great job that we just don't think about it like that anymore. And I guess realistically, that's the goal, right? I mean, yeah. it's to get to a place that it just is. Machine learning, however, is, um, and maybe this is overly obvious, but I'll restate it, but is uh, machines learning, right? So how did, what does that look like? Um, so like, just practically... You know, we talk about it seems real simplistic and, and me as the marketing guy, just like, yeah, you know, AI, machine learning, you know, it's just words that I have on a PowerPoint slide somewhere. But when, you know, somebody like you and, and people working in this space actually train machines and actually start this process, what practically, how does that work and what does that look like? What's that life cycle look like? The way I think about like how to implement machine learning or that life cycle of machine learning is like they're basically these general algorithms. You know, they're, they're something that you feed it a bunch of data and it'll sort of build its own logic based on data and based on the data that you feed it. And so that's the, the quote-unquote training aspect of it. And if you think about like maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago when you were writing code, you were writing a lot of like conditional logic. Like if this, then that, and sort of you, you had to know the rules of what you were coding to like write the application. And instead, what we're doing now is we're saying, hey, we're going to give you a bunch of data and we're going to tell you certain things to look out for. And then as you get more data, you tell me like what it is. So like a good idea or a good example, something that you probably are pretty familiar with is like emails and identifying spam. Like that's a really common machine learning problem because if you give the like spam identifier uh, machine learning algorithm enough emails and tell which ones are spam and tell which ones are not spam, it can tell you like as you get new emails, oh, this is this one's spam, this one isn't spam. And as you get more and more data, you start to get better at like telling the algorithm and shaping it sort of like to help you identify what's spam, what's not spam. You know, maybe to take it out of the context of uh, computer programming for a second. That it, well, I guess it still is computer programming, but is uh, maybe like spell check. I mean, there's rules, right? So you're talking about the old programming being like if this then that statements and conditional pieces. 
it will, you know, spelling has a lot of that or, or even uh, grammatical pieces. You know, you capitalize the first letter of a sentence, for example, or after a period, there's a space and then a capital, you know, and that kind of thing. So instead of, I guess, creating a program and having to identify everything, it's more like giving it a bunch of examples uh, that it pulls all this from versus you having to give every example. Am I saying that right? You know, it's like what image recognition is, which is like a a computer vision, which is like a a huge field in machine learning where, you know, you're like a computer is able to identify an image. And I don't know if you've ever used the new Google Photos app, but it's incredible. And like, it does such a good job of figuring out certain things because Google has just fed it massive amounts of data to tell it, this is what a dog looks like. This is what a cat looks like. This is what a horse looks like. And it just, it's so good at it. And, but at the end of the day, what you're really doing is you're just feeding this like machine learning algorithm, you know, and letting it classify, you know, you do, you still have to give it like the classification rules, but you're not telling it specifically, like these are all the defined rules. Like it's not, that's not what it's doing. I've said this a couple of times now, and I've probably even said it on the podcast, but it's hysterical to me. And it's been a little while. I haven't seen one in a while, but Google came out with that. Um, it was some sort of a art history type thing, but you could like it would scan your face and tell you which like famous portrait you know, yeah. you were or whatever. I don't know if you saw these and people would post yeah. them you know, on social. Yeah. And the first thing that went through my mind was I was like, Google has now figured out a way for you to actually scan your face and give it to them for free. Yeah. Crowdsourcing that data. Yeah. Uh, it's just amazing to me, you know, but, but anyway, anyway, so that's, that's um, neither here nor there, but again, you know, just more data, more examples. And I guess that's how they're, they're training a lot of the systems that they're building. That's pretty fascinating. And I think in the context of medicine, uh, especially in the clinical side, uh, we talk about um, evidence-based practice of medicine. And um, well, I mean, what's a better scenario then, I guess, than being able to look at all of these procedures that were done. And I think that's why there's so much excitement in the medical field. And, you know, Watson's been a big player in that space, but the idea of like, we have all this knowledge and can we feed it into these algorithms and give us some insight in, in like a very fast and efficient way. I think we're still learning because there's a lot of research being done around which mathematical models we should be using. And, and I, you, know, you start to get super like mathy and research heavy, but the way you can like sort of optimize these machine learning algorithms is to feed it different mathematical equations. And so people are sort of trying different things to approximate like what works better for different sets of data. Another term that is coming up that I guess is somewhat along the same lines, and maybe we can talk about this for a minute, is deep learning. So what's the difference in machine learning and, and deep learning? Deep learning is definitely the thing that Elon Musk is scared about. The idea that the computer teaches itself and sort of gets away from us. and Yeah, this is where the computers take over the world or whatever, yeah, one of those deals, right? That's that scenario, but I, which is like, you know, it's certainly closer than we think, I think. Um, but to me, I think about it in terms of supervised and unsupervised learning where you have a problem that you want to tackle um, and you want to use machine learning. So I think about it as if I'm trying to solve a problem that has an undefined set of rules, I probably want to use some form of AI and I want to use machine learning as my like tool to do implement that AI. And 
in the beginning, I probably want to supervise what data I feed it, right? I probably want to say, hey, these are the sort of general rules, and I'm going to feed you some data, and you tell me what the right classification is or you know, what the image is or whatever my sort of general rules are. But in, in sort of unsupervised or deep learning, you, you just give it data and you, you say, hey, like, tell me what this data means. Like, it'll try to cluster data in a certain way or it'll try to give you some like, insight into that data without you even telling it. And in deep learning, like, what you try to do is you try to... Deep learning stems from a concept of trying to mimic how our brains sort of interact, neural networks, and sort of trying to pass models, mathematical models, um, layer to layer until you get to sort of an answer that makes sense. And it's fascinating stuff, and it, uh, it's definitely things that are really like, like PhD level people are working on. They're trying to figure out like how do we get these machines to learn teach themselves yeah i can see this is this is everyone's nightmare you know at this point uh or or concern right is that you know we wake up one day and you know the machines have taken over so it makes for good movies if nothing else right now but that that is fascinating that's an interesting thought and i think to your point it may not be as far away as, as we think um but i think in healthcare and especially hospitals you know the machine learning side especially as it constitutes a look at, at ai and chatbots and some of those types of things you know this is a way that we can really connect patients help patients right now and something to um you know really consider and really uh, take a hard look at uh, as people are, are are looking at this. You know, they're they're rebuilding their website. They're they've just purchased a CRM. I don't know whatever the scenario is. Uh, they're going through planning for next budget cycle. What, what are some things, or what is a takeaway? What is something they could start doing or start considering? Start looking at you know, relative to machine learning? Are there, are there logical low-hanging fruit that they could go and say, well, this is, this is a great use case or a great place to look for something? Think about maybe your uh, contact us inbox or places where you're fielding questions where you, not, you don't necessarily know what the question is going to be about and try to look at that and say, okay, these people are asking the website questions. Like, why? And that's like the first place to think about, okay, I have this like set of data and I don't know what to do with it. And I probably need to figure out a tool that I can use or something that I can use that will help me understand and process this. I always think about and ask like folks like, hey, where are you sort of like getting data from? What are those places where you're gathering it and start there. Yeah, that's great. I think that makes a lot of sense. I think that's something actually everyone can do. Um, and if for no other reason, quite honestly, uh, do it selfishly at first to understand why people are visiting the website. And it may do nothing more than help you determine uh, a better way to architect your website or yeah. you know, to get people to the right information quicker or something like that. You know, If you start seeing some thematic pieces come through everybody's always asking i can't figure out where to pay my bill well maybe it's not obvious enough well man i, I certainly appreciate you taking a few minutes if people want to track you down online ask you more questions all that kind of good stuff what's the what's the best way for people to uh to find you yeah email abhi at loyalhealth.com or i'm on linkedin so feel free to drop me a note there too awesome and we'll, we'll make sure to put that in the show notes Bobby, i appreciate it and uh we'll have you on again soon i'm sure
All right, Reed, wrapping up the show here. We want to thank Abhi Sharma. He was that was a really good interview you you had of him. Abhi's a really smart guy. Yes, yeah, good to know that we have people in the industry that know what they're talking about. Yeah. So he's a good mm-hmm. example of someone much smarter than myself. And uh, I'm glad he's doing this and uh, I don't have to necessarily figure it out. I can just call him and say, uh, hey, man, so what does this mean? And in, in, in three sentences, what, what does this mean to me? You know, kind of a thing. So uh, what, um, what, what recommendations do you have today? Uh, well, Reed, I am going to recommend now that it's the, you know, the second day of summer, I suppose, right? Summer just occurred. In the summertime, what does one think of doing when it gets hot out? You know, um, the sun's beating down, you're in your shorts. Swimming. Well, swimming is a good one, <laughs> but that's not what I'm going to recommend. <laughs> I'm going to recommend grabbing a nice, cool bottle of bad beer. I sent you a link a couple of days ago about bad beer. You know, what, what I mean by bad beer is that's a term for kind of that standard domestic beer, not the micro brews, just a very standard over the counter domestic, good old fashioned beer. And I'm here in Minneapolis. And so one of the things in here in the Minneapolis that we always like to reach for when we want a, just a standard lawnmower beer, it's a grain belt, a premium grain belt beer. I'll, uh, I'll add a link to it in the show notes for those of you who are not from this area, but for those of you who are, you know what I'm talking about. So that's what I'm going to recommend. On a nice hot summer day, grab yourself a bottle of iced cold domestic bad beer. It doesn't sound very good. But I'll take your I'll take your word for it. I'll take your word for it. Well, you could do a PBR. I mean, or or what do you drink down there in Texas? Yeah. You know, uh, you know, just what's handy, I guess. I'll have. It's exactly I'll right. Check I'll check it out. No, that's good. That's good. All right, so I'm I'm going a little different direction, uh, a little more analog, a little more tactical uh, than some of the uh, technology stuff we've historically recommended. Uh, I'm recommending for anybody that knows and, and has many hand tools like screwdrivers, things like that. There's a brand called Klein, K L E I N Klein tools. You can buy them at home Depot and of course online and places like that, but it, they're, they're primarily made for electricians. So they have the insulated handles and things like that on the screwdrivers. And it's just a well-known brand that's been around, I think, since like the 1800s or something like that. So Klein Tools, specifically, they make an 11-in-1 multi-tool screwdriver slash nut driver. So it looks like a screwdriver, but it has you know the bits that flip over and you can pull it and out and swap around and things like that. So Flathead, Phillips head, star driver, the torque uh, drive bit, square square drive, as well as the uh, nut driver. So there's 11 different, uh, two flat, two Phillips, uh, a T10 and T15. Big fan of the T15 bit, by the way. Uh, the number one and number two square drive, and then three uh, nut drivers. So it's a handy little tool to have. I keep it in a bag in my truck. Uh, that way I always have uh, some sort of, you know, whatever screwdriver or something like that that I might need when I'm just kind of out and about or at my parents' house or something like that. It's just, uh, it's pretty handy. So it's about 15 bucks here on Amazon. Uh, and that's my recommendation. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. That is a good recommendation. Yeah. Assembled in the USA. So there you go. Well, hey, before we get out of here, a couple of things. Uh, one is we are officially, anybody that's been to the website, we certainly appreciate it, touchpoint.health if you have not. 
Uh, but you may have noticed down at the footer of most of the pages and, and on the Contact Us page, there's ways that you can subscribe or sign up for the Insider newsletter. So a little bit about that. It's going to be a weekly uh, email. Promise it's going to be lightweight. It's going to have some links to some industry news, uh, primarily articles mm-hmm. and stories that the uh, different show hosts and different shows uh, found inspiring. And uh, then it'll also have links to the most recent episodes from all the uh, Touchpoint Media Network shows on there. Uh, so go sign up. Go sign mm-hmm. up for that if you haven't. What other industry email do you need than your weekly Touchpoint Insider coming to you into your inbox exclusively by the hosts of all of the uh, podcasts on Touchpoint Media Network? Yeah, there you go. So uh, do that, and uh, of course, subscribe to all the shows, uh, especially ours. Do ours mm-hmm. first, and then worry about the other ones. Wherever you get your podcast, do that. Uh, rate, review, all that kind of good stuff. And uh, we, we appreciate the support, and let us, uh, let us hear from you. We've had some good uh, suggestions for show topics here recently on LinkedIn. Uh, if you haven't connected with mm-hmm. us there, please do that. Uh, that's a great way to get a hold of us. For Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and uh, as always, we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.